0: Thank you for listening and welcome to The Life Radio Show. A proud member of the SJ Network and Breaking the Fourth Wall Entertainment, I'm your host, Don Smith. This week, actor, comedian, and writer Mark Scheffler joins me to talk about theater, film, and comedy. There's also some speculation on the inner thoughts of cattle. If you enjoy the show, like and follow The Life 1069 on Facebook and Don Smith Comedy on Twitter. Or tune in live on Tuesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. on WWSU. 106.9 FM, or you can stream the show live at WWSU1069.org.
1: The brutal presence overwhelms me. a brutal presence overwhelms
2: me. This podcast is part of the SJ Network. Go to s-j-network.com for more great podcasts and for contact information on publicist Steve Joyner.
0: All right. Hey, welcome to the Life Radio Show. I'm your host, Don Smith. We are Zooming right along. I'm on call tonight, which means two things. My phone's going to be making noise and I can't drink, which uh, both things just disappoint me terribly. Uh, But my guest is already on the line with me. He's on Zoom. We have Mark Scheffler coming in. How's it going, sir?
2: It's fine. How's it going there where you are in Ohio?
0: It's it's not bad. It's a little cold out. We've we've had some snow on and off, but uh, not enough not enough to really be fun. Yeah, not I mean, enough to make the roads slick so nobody can drive.
2: Well, I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I'm quite familiar with Ohio. I used to go there a lot. My my dad was uh, was aluminum siding salesman.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs>
2: he, he worked, yeah, I know it's it's funny on its own. Uh he worked the whole tri-state area. You know, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia. So I as a kid you used to travel the back roads of all
0: three of those states. Nice. Nice. Now you, uh, you started out as, as a stage actor in life, didn't you? I did. I
2: started out, uh, um, you know, with, with an eye towards comedy. always uh, uh yeah, I, I was uh, with the Pittsburgh playhouse when I was uh, younger. And then from there went to New York and did some stuff there and, uh, kind of, you know, and I'm writing a book about my life called uh, uh, "My Very Successful Mediocre Career," uh, <laughs> uh, but but I've had a tremendous amount of luck. You know, one of one of the the things, the phrases that repeats over and over again in my life uh, is the phrase "as luck would have it." I just seem to at times to have been in the right place at the right time with the right people, and. Uh, I I was in New York and uh, got a a call from my manager who said, I have a movie audition for you. And I said, okay. And he said, go down to uh, uh, 45th Street between 5th and 6th. Here's the the number of the building and the suite number. And uh, ask for some guy named Wes and some guy named Sean, and you'll read you for a a movie. So I go down, I see these two guys, Wes and Sean, and uh, I read. By the time I got back to his office, which was in Rockefeller Center, a few blocks away, they had already called and said we won for the part. Oh, nice. Did I, just, did I mention that West was West Craven and
0: Sean was Sean Cunningham? I, I was. I was kind of. <laughs> I was kind of gathering on the West that you you know because you made yeah that was.
2: <laughs> there, there it was. You know, um, last house on the left, and there, uh, that was it. That's.
0: So that that was your first venture into film, was Last House on the Left?
2: Yeah, that was the first first thing I ever did on film. In fact, it, it, the truth is that even though that was kind of a primitive indie shoot, I learned the fundamentals of everything I've ever learned about filmmaking uh, during those four weeks in Connecticut. Uh, just everything I know today can trace back to something I've learned that I learned there.
0: Nice. Well, that's that's what I always love about the low budget indie movies is you you pick even if you're not doing if you if you have just one job on set you're still you're everything else is happening around you you're seeing all these oh, all yeah. these things. Oh
2: yeah, I mean um, you just learn you just learn it was it was like, really like a sponge man it was just the most incredible experience
0: watching this thing
2: happen and not really knowing how, you know, what it would look like, how it
0: would translate into film. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another, I, I like seeing a, a finished product after just being on set a little bit here and there. And then you see everything come together. It's a, it's always a fascinating process. It
2: is.
0: And, and you worked with some of the greats there. So. <laughs> they
2: did, but they weren't that then, you know, right. Uh, right. <laughs> That's the, that's the thing, Wes. Who who you know? I I do, I do uh, horror conventions when there's you know no global pandemic. Uh, right. I go out and I do the horror conventions, and people always ask me, you know, in in the, the kind of like a question in the future. They always say, well, "What was it like working with Wes Craven?" And I said, "Well, the way you're saying Wes Craven, he wasn't Wes Craven then. He was <laughs> this, he was this skinny blonde guy named Wes who you know." Uh, uh, was partners with a guy named Sean, a little bearded guy. And, uh, they, they had scraped together with, uh, some distribution money enough to make this film. So he really wasn't Wes Craven and he was, that was his first film.
0: Oh, that, that was his, that was his first feature film. Yes. Yes. Nice. Yeah. That's, that was his, uh, that was his first film. So we were all
2: kind of there learning together. Sean had made one film before that, a, a pseudo. Uh, a documentary called Together, which was like this sex thing about uh, some sex research institute, and his dad played the professor. And uh, it was it was like I said, it was a pseudo documentary. But Wes had had been just editing, doing some uh, back editing, uh, had never directed a film or written anything. This was his first.
0: Hmm. Nice. And you kind of you kind of made a turn and went into to more of. A- I won't say strictly writing, but mostly writing.
2: Well, what ha- what happened was I have to turn the Siri thing off. That's what you're hearing. I don't know. Why. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I got more women in my life, um, uh, but who don't listen to me, which is great. My my wife has both Siri and prog- and Alexa programmed uh, to when I say something, they say, uh, um, "Why are you busy? You can't do it yourself." Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you know why you know why Alexa isn't Alex, right? Uh, I do not. Okay, because if you said Alexa, you know, if you said like uh, Alex, turn on the lights, you'd get back. Just a second, honey. It's almost halftime. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I did. I went into that. That's again go, going back to what I learned on Last House. I came away from that experience with a with a strong desire to n- not just be. An element of a story, but to actually write the stories, I wanted that's. I wanted to actually write it, you know. So uh, that's what I did.
0: So rather than be one of the characters, you wanted to write it and be all the characters.
2: I, I wanted to, yeah. I wanted to be completely uh, uh, bifurcated and schizophrenic and and be everybody instead of just one
0: person. Yeah, which is which is fun. That's <laughs> well,
2: you know, it, it it's a weird thing because. Um, the way I be actually became a writer, the way I, the, 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 again, as luck would have it, um, I was um, running around town doing commercial auditions and feature auditions, to town being New York City, uh, uh, doing that. Then I get Last House, and uh, uh, it becomes, uh, you know, we, we saw it. David Hess and Fred, Fred Lincoln and I saw the movie at a screening at a Filmways screening house. And we we came out of there saying nobody's ever gonna fucking watch this thing. It's just it's, it's, there's no way. It's like it's gonna come and go like like uh, thieves in the night. So it comes out and uh, Hallmark releasing releases it in the Boston area, which is where they were from, uh, and they put it in drive-ins and you know it had very little press. They were they they had done the uh, it's only a movie, it's only a movie campaign, which was kind of compelling. And then what happened was uh, uh, Roger Ebert wrote a review, uh, gave us three and a half stars out of four. Hmm. He writes this amazing review of the film, and then like suddenly overnight, it's one of the top ten films in the country. <laughs> <And> I <Nice. laughs> no, like out of nowhere, like like out of absolutely nowhere. Like he writes the review, and boom, almost the next day. So for about two weeks, I wrote I rode that wave and and. I realized based on the number of women who were willing to uh, uh, canoodle with me that um, this was I'd made, her, I'd made the right career choice. You know? <laughs> but, but, you know, everything goes up, goes down, right? So the, right. the, the film has its mini run and uh, uh, the canoodling stops. And I'm saying to myself, wait a second, I don't like this. Uh, so I'm at a party one night. And I see a guy who's talking to a beautiful woman, uh, like a model type. And I overhear the conversation and he's, uh, he's like wrapping her around with these words. Like he's a writer and uh, he's working on a story and he's fleshing out a concept and he's, you know, got plot points and, you know, rising action. I mean, she's like, like throwing out all these words. And the girl is like, she's like hypnotized by it. And they end up leaving together. So I said to myself, I can do that. I can tell girls I'm a writer. So I went out and I bought a bunch of books about writing. <laughs> and I learned all the words. I learned, you know, plot, climax, uh, narrative, subplot. I learned all the words. I learned what they meant. I learned, you know, enough where I could bullshit. You know, my dad was a siding salesman. I could bullshit my way through it. So I go around to parties and I'm like doing it. And, um, you know, it's working. I'm doing great. So, I'm, I'm in an audition at uh, uh, Lee Lacey's in New York and Lee Lacey. You ever see that, uh, you know, the famous Coke commercial with Mean Joe Green and the little kid? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Lee Lacey was the guy who directed that commercial, won a Clio oh, okay. for it. And I had, I had auditioned for him a few times before, never gotten anything, but he and I had kind of a rapport, uh, uh, and he would always bring me in. So, this one particular commercial, you know, I'm in the, uh, uh, his waiting area. And I'm like talking to this girl and talking to her and doing the writer thing and he sees me and he, he 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 says to me afterwards, "Hey, I'd really like to read that what you what you're talking about. You know, I have an office in California, I got an agent at William Morris. I'd really like to read it. it sounded great." So I said, "Look, Lee, we're friends, right? I said, I'm completely lying. I'm just I just I just do this to get laid, man. I just, you know, it's just a thing I do." He said, "Well, is it working for you?" And I said, yeah, all the time. He said, then you're an idiot. I said, what do you mean? He said, dude, if you can get women to drop their pants for words coming out of your mouth, you're aiming those words in the wrong place. He said, you got to start. You actually have to write something. So he got me to write a script uh, uh, based on an idea I had. And he sent it to his agent, at William Morris, uh, uh, and the guy sold it to NBC. So like suddenly uh, he called me up and he said, hey, script sold. Uh, How'd you like to move to L.A.? And I said, well, sure. <laughs> and there I was, like, sold the first script I ever really wrote. And uh, suddenly at uh, 27 and a half, there I was living in Los
0: Angeles. Huh. That, that's, I, I, I love the honesty that the only reason you started it was to get laid. That's oh,
2: please, That's the only reason I went. I told you, man, I wanted to live like a teenager with a big allowance. I,
0: wanted to... when I left college.
2: I went, I actually went to college for a couple of years. And I went to I went to Louisiana State uh, I actually went to college with David Duke a uh, famous oh, American civil yeah. rights activist uh, so so um, I quit uh, and and left college and I had three life goals uh, I wanted to uh, smoke as much marijuana as possible I wanted to sleep with as many different women as possible and I wanted to make just enough money to afford the weed and the women so <laughs> You know, show business seemed like the perfect uh, uh, vehicle for me because I'm, I'm a chicken shit. Crime won't work for me. I can't can, can't commit a crime because I have too much guilt. And uh, so I became a, a, a writer, uh, which is like perfect.
0: Yeah, because you, you can make up all the crimes that you, you don't, you wouldn't have the guts to commit.
2: 100%. Yeah. I've, ri- I've written shit that I could never, ever do, you know.
0: <laughs> i could think about
2: doing it you know but i'd never do it
0: yeah that's well that's that's the beauty of writing you don't have to
2: that's right it's exactly right give it off to an actor let them do it
0: <laughs> <laughs> so uh do you still do any acting or are you uh are you strictly a writer now and
2: Every, every now and then somebody calls me you know and says would you do a little bit part here a little thing I don't really pursue it I, I have gone back to doing stand-up though because oh, okay uh, I have I have gone back to doing that because it's the first love of my life um, and and I don't know if you know the story if, if, if uh, Steve told you but um, when I was 10 years old uh, coming up on the uh, my birthday my, my dad said to me uh, what do you want for your birthday? So I said, the Three Stooges, and he got them for me. Uh, he, my, my dad hired the Three Stooges to perform at my 10th birthday party. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so he was a very successful aluminum siding salesman. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so anyway, I'm at, I'm at a place. Uh, do you know Pittsburgh at all? Uh, no, I have not been. There was a, a, a nightclub there years ago out in the suburb called Monroeville called yeah. the Holiday House. So about three months after my birthday, the actual birthday, the Stooges were doing a gig there. Uh, it was Moe and Larry and then Curly Joe Dorita. So uh, my dad rented out the place on a Saturday afternoon, paid them a fee, and I had a big birthday party there. So w- during the party, in the middle of their act, they, they brought me up on stage, and I was like a Stoogophile, so I knew all their shit. Uh, and... I was inter- doing doing their material with them, and they were surprised, and you know I was thrilled. But what what happened was, there I was on the stage, and I couldn't see because the lights were in my face, holding a microphone, speaking into the microphone, and hearing laughter come back at me, and it was it was that that music of audience laughter, and there's nothing like that. I don't know if you've ever been on stage, but you oh yeah, yeah, there, there's the, the audience laughter. Is is for me like a cathartic, you know? It's music. It's like a blanket. It embraces me, and and you know, it, it feels really warm. And and I felt that for the first time then, and that was pretty much the day when I, I you know, I didn't intellectualize it because you know I was fucking ten. But that that that's when I said to myself, I know what I'm doing in life. I, this is it. This is it, it. Doesn't get better than this, and it still doesn't get better than that.
0: That's great, yeah. But yeah, I, I've uh, I've been performing stand up for about seven years now, and before that, my early to mid twenties, I was uh, I did a lot of theater and, and usually leaned toward comedy scripts.
2: Yeah, there's, there's nothing
0: like it. I yeah that that the the, the the audience laughter is a wonderful thing. And
2: if I wasn't funny, both of my wives would have thrown me out long before the marriage.
1: You know, <laughs> before. no.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think the last one uh, threw me out because of the funny, I think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's interesting. My wife, my current wife, we've been together 17 years. And I, she she really is like the love of my life. But she's very funny. She loves the fact that I'm a writer, but she hates it when I write. Huh. Yeah, she loves telling people, oh, my husband's a writer. Oh, really, he's a TV writer. Yes, yes, very successful. Very TV, yes, yes. Then, but when I'm writing... You're, you're so distant,
0: right? You're, you never, never have time,
2: never have time. Well, I'm doing that thing. You like to brag about, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny how that works.
2: <laughs> you like, to, you know, it's the thing that got to the us this house and it, you know, it pays for the cars and everything. Yeah. It's, it's that thing that, you know, that I do.
0: Yeah. My, my wife stopped going to all my sh- shows and just assumed that all the jokes I told were about her. That's a good one. And I, and I told her, it's like, they're not all about you, but, you know, a lot of them are, but not all of them.
2: <laughs> well, my, I, I happen to be married to a particularly amusing individual. My wife is a Colombian woman, and uh, she she's a woman of extraordinary emotional extremes. She's either at my feet or at my throat and not enough time, <laughs> in, between, not enough time in between. So, you know.
0: Yeah, my, my wife was Indian. So, ah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of stories there too. So <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been a wild ride. So. But but fun, yeah, probably. It's, it's fun, probably. A lot of times, a lot of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then of course, I, th- I think buying, buying into the comedy club and becoming part owner of the comedy club was really that, that was the last straw for this that I really was never home.
2: Well, so. we all make our decisions, you know, and our choices. Yeah, yeah,
0: and why did I ever make that one? But
2: <laughs> I don't know. But uh, tune in next week on uh, online therapy, and we'll find yes, out. Yes,
0: I think that's what we, <laughs> that's what we've
2: turned into. I'm a actor, <laughs> comedian, writer. I'm not a shrink, but I'll give you an opinion. No, you do what you you know. You follow your own heart. The heart right. wants, the heart wants, and that you, and ultimately, that's where we go.
0: Yeah, yeah, where, wherever it takes us on this crazy ride. But uh, you, you've written a lot of, a lot of TV series, I'm seeing on here, Who's the Boss, Charles in Charge, Harry and the Hendersons, which I forgot was a TV series.
2: Yes, it was a TV series after it was a movie.
0: Man. Yeah, I remember the movie. I don't, I don't remember the series that well. Um, it was like the movie, only stretched out. <laughs> <laughs> it would have to be.
2: Yeah. It was, it was a lot of fun. Again, you learn things, you know, uh, was done at, done at universal and Rick Baker Academy award-winning special effects genius, uh, worked on the show and built the suit and, you know, so, uh, and Spielberg's company was a co-producer of the film. So it was, uh, one of those, uh, uh, as luck would have it situations. Yeah. Uh,
0: do you have anything do you have anything you're currently working on? I do.
2: I do actually. Um, I, I'm working. Uh, um, I have a pilot written for a series I'm working on that I actually I don't have a title for. Uh, I just mm-hmm. call it the Pittsburgh Show. And uh, I'm I, I reached a point in my life. Let me digress for a sec. I reached a point in my life when I realized wherever we are, you know, like I'm 71 years old, so I'm pretty much where I am. Uh, wherever we are, at, at some point in your life, you look back, and there are always these seminal moments. You know, there's always. Uh, uh, these things that happen to you that I, I, that alter your direction and kind of arc you towards where you're going. So I looked at my life, and I, I wrote a wrote the pilot for a show that that's uh, the core relationship of my father and me from the time I was 14 in Pittsburgh until Last House on the Left opens up at the uh, the Stanley Theater in Pittsburgh that my father's cousin ran. So the the body of the show uh, is like six years, and it's all the things that happened to me that took me from the point when when I used to sit in, in the Stanley Theater, one of these grand, ornate, regal, old-style theaters mm-hmm. in downtown Pittsburgh, and I would watch the screen, and then I imagined myself in a movie up on the screen when I was a kid until that actually happened in real life uh, seven years later. So... That's, nice. the, that's the show. And it, it takes place, starts in 1963 and, and ends probably around 1971,
0: 72. Nice. Now, what, that first time you saw yourself on the big screen like that, what was that experience like? Was it something you expected or was it still something that blew your mind?
2: Still blew my mind. Uh, so, yeah. I, I, and that was the first time I saw it was, that as I mentioned, we saw it at a screening room. And it wasn't a giant theater. But it was a large, you know, it was a, a screening room, projecting theater, so it was pretty big. That I, I I came away from that kind of you know bifurcated in the sense that I again admit that I thought the film was like a horrible piece of shit and no one was ever going to see it, but I was also like, yeah, but that was pretty cool watching myself up on the screen and them to 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 see it on a really big screen, you know, like giant, and then to have my dad there uh with me at the time that was uh, that was pretty emotional that was pretty that was pretty cool because he was you know he just looked at me and said you made it happen man you just you did it you did it you, you did what you said you were going to do and you know when like like most kids you know being uh, receiving affirmation from your father or your parents is uh is a comforting uh moment
0: yeah absolutely that that's that's nice that's really cool you got nothing to say to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Now that I've successfully, you know, brought, brought the energy down.
0: Oh uh, no, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's the
2: kind of guest you like to have. Well, okay. And in funeral news this week, <laughs> <you know. laughs> I,
0: I've been, I've been surprised by my, many other things on this show.
2: Okay. Uh, uh,
1: I,
0: had some, I, had some, <laughs> I had somebody once talk about, you know, finding a dead body on their property. And that really threw me off my, threw me off for a second. Yeah. yeah that was a that was a whole different thing
2: <laughs> i don't know how you, you know no life in that
0: yeah how, how do you follow that that's 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 hard to do so <laughs> i think the commercial is actually the way to go <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i might have i can't remember i can't remember what i did at that point
2: i'm <laughs> um, frank's formaldehyde we bring
0: you the weather <laughs> so you're you're still you're still performing comedy well, I, what, because, I mean, once everything, you know, you know, you plan to once we're allowed to again.
2: What, what happened was uh, a few years ago, I got hit by a car in in November of uh, 2015. I was walking home from a Trader Joe's, my my neighborhood in Toluca Lake. And uh, apparently a guy uh, uh, came driving behind me. I got hit from behind and um, I, I was injured severely. Let's just put it like lots of broken shit. And you know, spend time in the hospital. And, and just in case anyone's curious, getting hit by a car really fucking hurts. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not like a stunt person in the movies. It really hurts. So I was in the hospital and they were giving me a uh, uh, pain medication and, and uh, I, you know, I'd be okay. And then they'd give me the pain medication. Then, you know, nature took its course and I'd kind of go off into the ozone and I found myself every time, that happened, I found myself at that time uh, uh, reliving my stand-up days back in the uh, 70s, right? With, you know, because I'm part of the comedy, I'm an original paid regular at the Comedy Store. You know, my name's on the wall oh, nice. and has been for 40 years. And my my crew, I'm, I'm part of that uh, uh, kind of famous uh, class of 77 with Robin Williams and David Letterman and Jay Leno and Tom Dreesen and uh, George Miller and uh, Skip Stevenson, all those guys, you know, we were were all started right around the same time. And so I would find myself uh, time tripping, you know, just because those days were so much fun. I mean, literally so much fun that it it took my pain away. So as I, as I got better, as I became more mobile, I I started writing uh, uh, an act and jokes and I, I've been, before the pandemic, I had been doing it for a couple of years, around clubs around LA. I did a couple of gigs in New York one year, and one one holiday season, and I was uh, you know going going strong. And then the 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 pandemic uh, happened, and we were my wife and I were live uh, pre pandemic. Uh, her family's from Columbia, so we were spending maybe five six months a year there in in increments of two and three months at a time or two months whatever. So I was doing doing performing when I was back in LA and then going off to Columbia and writing and then coming back and then we got back last February uh, February 16th I believe and then everything just shut down so yeah. you know I uh, haven't done anything except from some zoom shows
0: did, uh, did you ever try to did you ever try to do a comedy show in Colombia
2: um I no I haven't but I apparently my my wife's family finds me quite amusing
0: uh, <laughs> That's good. Yeah, (laughs) amusing in a good way, or in amusing as as a a typical son-in-law would be amusing too.
2: No, 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 amusing in a good way. Okay, Uh, okay. Like, like I know the difference between polite laughter and real laughter. Sure, you do too. You know, if you've been on stage at any time, you know the difference between you know a polite chuckle and you know you really manipulating them and making them laugh when you want to. Yeah. uh, I, I, yeah, so, no, uh, and, I, and in Spanish, too, which is interesting, because uh, uh, I don't think I speak great Spanish, but they do. So, hmm. But I'm, I, I plan on, as soon as uh, clubs open up and I get my vaccinations and there's an audience, I plan on going right back to it.
0: Nice, nice, because there, there are a few places right now, and know Wiley's here in Dayton, we, we opened up. But we're just very, very limited seating right now. But
2: yeah, I, I, I won't go back till I have my vaccines. I just yeah, yeah. I love it, but you know, not more than living.
0: Not Yeah, not more than life
2: itself. <laughs> not more than life itself. I. Yeah. I uh, so I'm gonna I'll be cautious and be safe. But uh, I plan on going back to it. Awesome, awesome.
0: Uh, what, do you do you plan on doing any touring across country, or just sticking sticking to uh, L.A. Sure. and
2: New York? I, I'm open to anything, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a trooper. Uh, I, I just, I just love the juice, man. You, you know, you've been on stage, you know, I just, I just love it. I just love the juice of being up. I love being the center of attention for a few minutes. I love goofing off. I love playing with people, talking to people, having fun, you know,
0: it's, Yeah, yeah. It's where, where you said comedy was your first love that. Mine's, mine's actually live theater. Oh, yeah, I started. That's that's where uh, that's how I got into comedy is I didn't have I didn't have the time to, you know, devote three, four months to a theater production. So that's why I started performing comedies. I still wanted to be on stage.
2: Yeah, there's nothing like it. Yeah, I'm sure there are. But for people like us or, you know, if you if you feel that thing uh, and that's what you got to do. Yeah,
0: because at beginning of 2020, I was going to take a break from comedy and and start getting back up and doing doing a little more theater. And as soon as I made that decision, everything shut down anyway. So now still can't get out and do any theater.
2: You know, it's funny. I I have a lot of uh, millennials uh, friends that, who are comedians because right? that's they're mostly who the, the the lion's share of comedians these days are these millennial yeah. uh, guys and girls and. A lot of them were complaining when everything shut down, you know, uh, Oh, I'm not going to be performing. We'll start writing, man. Fucking write. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pandemics not stopping you from writing, you
0: know, write jokes. There you go. Yeah. That's
2: learn what punchlines are.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of them that still need to do that. <laughs> yeah, but you have I, to read about it.
2: Watch, why watch some that.
0: actual comedy. And... Yeah. That's
2: why I said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're all sweet. They're all sweet kids, you know. That that, that but a lot of them wouldn't know a fucking punchline if it came up and hit them in the face. It
1: just
0: I I, I followed a, a few on stage that way, and it was there. There was a one guy I followed. I I couldn't help myself. I was in a bad mood anyway, and I kind of tore him up a little bit when I went up there because he would he would tell a premise and chuckle to himself like he knew what the punchline was. He nice. just wasn't sharing it. Nice. Yeah,
2: That's it. You got it. <laughs> they seem to know something that, that, that the audience doesn't. And uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like, unless you're Andy Kaufman, that doesn't work.
2: Yeah. And you know, you know, it's like one of, one of the things I've noticed is that these young guys and mostly young guys, but some of the younger women, every one of them that they, they do, they do material about masturbation. Yes. Like that's their thing. Right. So I was up on stage one night and I was talking about them doing masturbation jokes, you know, and how I don't really do masturbation jokes because I got a woman comes in once a week, helps me out there. So uh, um, I said, you know, you you show me a millennial comedian who doesn't do jokes about masturbation and and I'll show you a Prius. that's never been in a Whole Foods parking lot. (laughs)
0: They laughed at that.
2: I said, see, now that's a punchline. Right. That's that's
0: what that is. But that
2: is. So it, it's fun. I have very good, you know, some friends that I help kind of mentor a bit and help yeah. out. So uh, it, it's it's fun.
0: Yeah. Well, I think we are going to take a short break uh, right now so I can break things up for uh, I, I don't know how much of this can go out on the radio. I'm going to have to do quite a bit of ed- editing, which is fine. I will get that done. but. <laughs> But see, now I've told on myself, now when I edit everything off, they're going to be wondering what I edited. There you go. And you make
2: yeah. them international man of mystery.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah they're, that's going to give you so many more hits on social media because <laughs> they're going to be wondering, who is this dude? Who is this guy? What, is yeah. Who's yeah, it's just, what, what all did he have to edit out? Is there something yeah. we need to know? And you just <laughs> keep that mystery about us. Well, and that'll 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 just lead us into the next big thing. There we go. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back here shortly on the Life Radio Show uh, with more with Mark Scheffler. So don't go anywhere.
1: So I was just I was just lying in bed and I was thinking about something. So so there's a lot of people who are just like you know, we're so much about everything and having to be perfect all the time. They they kind of miss magic It's uh, going on around them. Like, some people just get so caught up, you know, trying to trying to cross their I's and dot their T's that they kind of miss the, the whole point of the sentence entirely. So, you know, stop waiting for everything to be perfect and just sort of enjoy what you got. Okay, I'm going to go back to bed now.
2: going on minions mike here for misery point radio and you're listening to the coast to coast power hour on the S.J. network now i know what you're thinking mike what the f is a coast to coast power hour well my uneducated and uninformed friend the coast to coast power
0: hour is a board like collective of epic podcasters from epic podcasts that have all come together to discuss the important things in life Pop culture, current events, random awesomeness, stuff like that. Trust me, you need
2: this in your life. For more information on this show and all the shows on the Coast to Coast Power Hour as well as on the SJ Network, reach out to publicist Steve Joyner at www.s-j-network.com or stevesjnetwork at gmail.com. No need to thank me. I'm just out here, you know,
0: changing lives. Hey, this is Don Smith. I want to take a minute to tell you about The Devil's Apple, a new book by my friend William Morris. It's the true and brutally honest story about Bill's own battle with addiction. It was written for those struggling to overcome addiction as well as those watching a loved one struggle. In Bill's own words, you work just as hard to be an addict as you do to be clean and sober. You can find The Devil's Apple on Amazon.com and for a limited time you can get it for free on the Kindle app. Hold on, wait a minute, wait one second, I think I'm onto something here. This is pure snow! It's everywhere! Have you any idea what the street value of this mountain is? Charles... Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it! Ah! Oh! Oh! Outrageous! I think I froze the left half of my brain! Look! I can't move my right arm. All right, hey, welcome back to the Life Radio Show. Uh, feels like that was a short break, but you know, it's it's the average length. We're all <laughs> we're all just average, average length here on the Life Radio Show. Uh, my guest is still zoomed in with me. Mark Scheffler uh, has decided not to just hang up and go to, get on with the rest of his evening, okay. which I appreciate. <laughs> uh, but we're going to hit some news stories. If you're ready for some, uh, for some news stories, we got some, uh, interesting ones to dig up here. Okay. Uh, would you dig up an outhouse for fun? Uh, one Kansas man has made a hobby out of it. Uh, there's only a couple of us who do it in this state said Kenny Resser, uh, think of it as excavating abandoned garbage holes and finding hidden trash or what some may refer to as treasure. Uh, Back in the 1800s, they didn't have a trash truck that went through. That's just where they threw their trash, so that's why all the stuff is in there, (laughs) Resser said. A buddy of Resser's introduced him to the hobby about eight years ago after a lengthy stint of collecting Indian artifacts. After a while, one of the guys from Oklahoma gave me one of his probes and then, you know, kind of taught me how to do it and stuff like that. These are du- direct quotes, by the way, <laughs> taught me how to do it and stuff like that, he said. Then I just kind of went off on my own to do it. He do basically I- digs out of uh, 1800s uh, outhouses. I wonder if
2: you need a license for this. <laughs>
0: I, I don't know. As he plans each of his digs. He uses Sanborn maps, uh, detailed maps of the U.S. cities and towns in the 19th and 20th centuries, and plat maps or land maps to identify where the outhouses are located.
2: Well, you come to Los Angeles and dig up a bunch of shitty TV shows. That were-
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. It'd be very similar, I guess. Yeah. <laughs>
2: There's a dump like in Simi Valley where they dump shitty movies and TV shows. Yeah. Right? <laughs>
0: Oh, where where was I? You go to these towns and they have vacant lots now, but there may have been a house there in the eighteen hundreds. And these maps will show exactly where the houses were. Uh, the outhouses are usually back by the alleyways because nobody wants to crap in their living room, I guess.
2: Yeah, I think it it's nice. Awesome. Go there, you you know, you dig a little bit, and then you kind of like bring back to life viruses and bacteria that have been buried under like hundreds of tons of dirt.
0: Right. That's probably why. Uh, that's probably what started COVID-19.
2: I thought it was a guy ordering like uh, a bat Kung Pao. That guy,
0: <laughs> there, there are a lot of stories. I mean, we don't know if it's that or we do whether it's this, this, uh, idiot digging up, uh, toilets from the uh, 1800s. Yeah, could be. That's I what just,
2: they say. You know, that's what they say is the danger in, uh, 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 digging up the ice in the, uh, Arctic and Antarctic is that, that you, uh, uh, run the risk of releasing bacteria that have been yeah. buried under, under like thousands of tons of ice.
0: Yeah. Th- think of all the pandemics from the past two, 300 years that this guy's rooting around in. Well, better him than us, right? <laughs> but I love some of his quotes. I have to share this one in particular. Uh, when you're probing around in the backyard, Looking for these outhouses, normally the ground is going to be pretty stiff. Uh, then when you hit an outhouse, sometimes you can use, uh, just use two fingers and push the probe all the way in. See, that sounds like a, a urologist. For me. <laughs> right. And then you you turn your head and cough, and uh, they can tell you if your prostate's okay.
2: Anyone who's not a doctor who uses the word probe consistently. I, right. I think I probably have some stay away from issues. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, if you're not a doctor or an extraterrestrial,
2: yeah, don't, don't use be probing the that much. Because it makes my you know what pucker.
0: So, <laughs> so that's a, That's, that's, I guess people need a hobby. And if you need to root around in an outhouse, I guess there you go. Wow. Listen, it's one of those things that will probably
2: eventually make it to those uh, uh, those community colleges that offer ten week classes in how to get a hobby.
0: That is true. Uh, Yeah, that that's (laughs) macrame, ceramics, and like shithole uh, (laughs) surgery. Yep, I've I've got my associate's degrees in shithole probing. (laughs) That's correct. And there you go, use the word probe again. So you know, right? Because well, it's more professional. Suspect list. So. Yeah, you you can you can only use the word probe if you have the the associate's degree yeah, you from your something. local community college and shit digging. So what else you got? What else is in here? Uh, Walt Patrick uh, slowly rolls a giant wooden spool shaped cradle back and forth. Inside a human body is gradually being turned into compost. One of the first licensed natural organic reductions to be performed in the entire country. Uh, slowly this, in the Uh, This is uh, is the the headline, Humans Now Being Legally Composted in Washington. Apparently, Washington State (laughs) Post. There you go. Like that old saying says, you are what you eat, and somebody will eat you eventually. There you go. (laughs) Uh, this is simply another option at a time when people feel they have no options. Patrick said, uh, you know, death has intervened and changed your life forever. How can you do something at least to make it the way you want? Uh, Patrick is the senior steward at Herland Forest, a natural burial cemetery and nonprofit research center located in uh, north of the Columbia River Gorge in Clickatat County.
2: I think if somebody, if somebody did that with me, They'd probably get high from it.
0: <laughs> that would be a new. That'd be a new strain. It would be a new strain of weed that would grow.
2: They would probably get high. From it. That's
0: that's that's kind of creepy when you think about it. It's very creepy. Yeah. It's called natural organic reduction. Well, that's what they're calling it. Yes, it's given a given them a second way to return their bodies to the land. So if you, <laughs> I don't think so. You don't, you don't want to be composted? <laughs> no, I don't want to be
2: composted. I want to be comped, but that's mostly in hotels in Vegas. Right. Uh, but no, I, I don't want to be composted. I don't want to, you know.
0: Yes. In, in 2019, Governor Jay Inslee signed legislation making Washington the first state to approve composting as an alternate or alternative to burying or cremating human remains. It's apparently composting is greener a greener alternative to cremation because it uses less energy. So there you go. It's all about renewable energy and human compost.
2: <laughs> that just
0: sounds wrong. It it does. It does. I just I, I kind of wonder how they managed to. Uh... And you know, Jay Inslee's a pretty you know decent guy. I mean,
2: you know, very environmental, but this this is. This is rabid environmentalism.
0: Yes. <laughs> Whatever it takes, I guess. Whatever it takes. Let's let's see what else we got here. Okay, so so far you've covered shit and death. Right. We we go we go all over the map. Yeah, Here, we'll, 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 <laughs> we'll, we'll cover a happier story I guess A young cow that was able to escape from a slaughterhouse is being allowed to live on an animal farm uh, located near Salzburg, Austria. The cow named Laney uh, was spotted by a woman as it escaped from this as it was escaping from the slaughterhouse. Animal charity uh, Goot Alberbichel. Uh, located located the cow and rescued her after receiving a phone call from the witness. Uh, They then uh, paid the original owner of the cow for any lost wages and took took Laney to its animal farm. Uh, The California Highway Patrol recently responded to. You
2: You ever look at a cow like face to face? Yes. There's like nothing going on there. (laughs)
0: they they they, they're just they're deep thinkers they don't they're walking hamburgers and they know
2: (laughs) there's nothing going on there like i've been to zoos with you know with my kids you know you look at a pig like pig's got something going on in its eyes you know it's like you look at a chicken the chicken's got something you look at a cow you don't see shit it's like fucking blank (laughs)
0: So you're, the cow's just not trying to figure things out. They're just they're just happy. They're standing there chewing their cud,
2: and that's why they get tipped. See, that's why. You, you, there's no such thing as chicken tipping. There's no 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 such thing as like pig tipping. But there is cow tipping because they're just like you know. Th- I don't even think they know they've been tipped. I do-
0: <laughs> I, I never really thought of that. Well, I have too much time on my hands. So. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I never thought of, of chicken tipping. That would that's I'm gonna.
2: You can't tip a chicken
0: because they don't they don't sleep standing they don't, up.
2: They don't stand still. Yeah. They don't sleep standing up, right?
0: You know, uh, I, I you know horses.
2: There's something going on there. Uh, uh, and, you know certain animals like fucking cows. They just you know <laughs> look at them. Go hey, nothing, nothing, and will respond here, cow. Your cow, nothing.
0: They don't. Yeah, do they don't. They don't come running yeah. unless they unless they see you're pouring the uh, slop in a trough. That's it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I just I've never I've never put that together. I've 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 looked at a cow before, and you're right. It's just a very blank stare. Completely. There are blank. no wheels a turning. They're not. That's why you wonder how one of them escapes. Is that Is it that one clever cow that decided? There you
2: go. Hit the gene pool. Top it in gene pool. I got out you know motherfucker i got out
0: that's why i'm glad there was somebody there to save the one smart cow
2: that's it you know like you remember the company borden right oh yeah borden dairy like was it elsie the cow was the name of that cow
0: yes yes
2: So there was it was you know anthropomorphized and cartoons and had a voice and and then you get to the real cows and they're like nothing like that
0: yeah, And it's it's a little bit of a disappointment as a kid. It's a huge disappointment. Yeah. It's one of those things that said, you
2: know, life isn't what you think it is.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to retract my previous statement about saving the smart cow. That's the last thing we want to do. That's right. Because, you know, once a cow figures out that, you know, it's
2: basically a walking hamburger,
0: we're in big trouble. Oh, yeah. Because they're big animals. If they, if they decided to rise up and revolt, it's going to be hell to stop them.
2: That's the thing. The bigger they are, the dumber they are, and for good reason. <laughs>
0: So yeah, we, we don't want the we don't want those high level thinking cows out there. We want the uh, we we want like your average cow, you know, all doped up on riddling or something, like it's not, you know, bulls concentrating are, real hard on something.
2: Bulls are just
0: a step above that.
2: Bulls have two emotions. They're horny and they get pissed.
0: That's yeah. it. Horny yeah. and angry. Just typical male. That's it. That's right. There's no no such thing as a happy bull right?
2: more Like kick back, laid back, you know, Hey, I'm a bull. I got horns, man. You know, like no shit.
0: That's all right.
2: No, I'm, I'm, I want to bang a a Bessie or I'm going to fucking gore you. That's it.
0: (laughs) Yep. Get, get that little asshole with the red cape. We're taking him out. That's it. What a job. Bullfighting,
2: right? What do you do for a living? I'm a bullfighter. Really?
0: Yeah. They tried it with cows, but they just stood there staring at them.
2: They just, they let you stab them. (laughs)
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, there was, it wasn't a lot of sport in that.
2: Oh, no, there's none. There's none. They don't move, these cows. It's like, it's nothing. They don't go anywhere. You know, you see these uh, old westerns, you know, these cattle drives. Can you imagine that if, if they don't, like, send the dogs and the cowboys with the guns, and, the, and the, these cows are just, like, stand still in the middle of the plains.
0: Yeah, they wouldn't have any idea where to go. Nope. It's so- <laughs> thank god for cattle rustlers i guess <laughs> yeah well not the rustlers those are the bad guys you want the cowboys not the not the cattle rustlers
2: were there ever any pig boys i'm curious there should be there should be <laughs> the whole cowboy thing you know it is very limited to one animal yeah but but they ride a horse and they ride horses i was about to say they should have called them horse boys right or horsemen or something but no, they stuck with cowboys. Now, the one that I always liked—speaking well, uh, of Western jargon—was cowpoke.
0: Right, right.
2: What does that mean? That's
0: You're... that's that's got to be close to you know that's got to be close to tipping. That's got to be close to cow tipping.
2: I think that's sexual tipping.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want to try a cowpoke.
2: Yeah, because. Go and poke a cow first of all, they don't
0: even feel it. That's number one, you know.
2: That's why they had to invent the cattle prod because people kept poking them and they didn't fucking move, right?
0: <laughs> so whatever, you need it needs to be my old business, yeah,
2: I don't know. My uh, uh, grandmother's family in Pittsburgh they owned a meat packing plant uh, back in the day, and I remember going there, and um, you know, like my mother would go there like three or four times a year and just load up on stuff. And uh, it was like, I guess it was a slaughterhouse. Uh, and it was really weird because none of these cows were complaining. You know, they were just, oh, okay, you know, walk over here. bank,
0: Gone. Hamburger. That's it. Right. Right. They were, they weren't worried about animal rights. No. And, and of all, and of all things they should be. They, I would think they're the most, uh, I, I'm not sure. Do you think, You
2: think cows are like the most uh, assaulted uh, domestic animal? Probably, right?
0: I would imagine, yeah. The most mass-murdered domestic animal. Right, because they line them up, and everybody's just cool with it. They line them up, march them in, kill them all, and we're just like, oh, delicious. Yeah, right. Okay, what else you got in the news there? Uh Uh, uh, but I was trying to make that a feel-good story, and it didn't end up that way. It
2: might appear to cow.
0: <laughs> uh, six trapped manatees. <laughs> we'll go with the sea cow now. Six trapped manatees were rescued at Pine Island. Conserva- converse It's supposed to be conservation area, but they actually have it written as conversation area. <laughs>
2: yeah, but some journalism person really caught that one. Right.
0: Uh, The Pine I'm going to go with what it says, because it has it twice. Uh, Six manatees were rescued at Pine Island Conversation Area in Florida by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conversation Commission.
2: What does that mean? They just sit around and talk about it?
0: I hope it's the wildlife talking. Yes. Because they need to communicate better.
2: I think so. That's a good one
0: especially down in Florida. We got all these humans encroaching on their land and, and their, their habitat. They need to be able to express their needs a little better. Yeah.
2: Florida. It's like a free range nursing home in a swamp. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just love the wildlife conversation commission. Uh, the FWC fish and wildlife research Institute posted photos of the rescue on Facebook Thursday and noted that the manatees likely got into the refuge system by swimming over a concrete, Uh, weir uh, during a high water event that later didn't allow them to swim out because it didn't say yet where they were actually trapped. Ah, but it just, but it just explained how they got out of where they were trapped, but didn't tell us where they were trapped. Like the manatee version of hotel California. You can check in, but you can't check out. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Five of the six manatees were rescued first with four of them released back into the wild following a health assessment. The fifth manatee is being rehabilitated at Jacksonville Zoo and Gardens. The sixth manatee was rescued. The next, sorry, was recused. Who wrote this? Holy wow. cow. Well, Holy maybe, sea maybe, cow. Maybe
2: that, maybe that
0: was the smart manatee.
2: I mean. <laughs> maybe that manatee didn't want it. just said, I'm done with you guys, and I'm
0: recusing Exactly, the six manatee was recused the next day and also taken to Jacksonville (laughs) uh, Zoo and Gardens to be rehabilitated. A manatee previously spotted with a bicycle tire wrapped around its body appeared more than a year appeared more than a year later with the tire gone. So it figured out a way to get it off himself.
2: Yeah, or some there's somebody riding around with (laughs) right. Hey Zeke, you find that spare tire you lost?
0: <laughs> yep. And then, then finally, to round the article out, they did get the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission corrected. <laughs> they just didn't. They just got it wrong twice in the first sentence of the of the story. Ah. Oh, so that is great. I wonder if there's a byline. Is there a byline here? Well, I can wait. Wade- Wade Sheridan of uh, UPI. Uh, Wade
2: Wade would have a a tough time being a writer in in Hollywood because the one thing I learned, like almost at the very beginning, that the bare minimum that producers expect from writers is that everything is spelled correctly and the grammar is right.
0: Absolutely. Because an actor will read the script word for word.
2: (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
0: so you don't want any misspellings or that's what it's going to be in the final cut. (laughs) That's
2: exactly what it's going to be. You're 100% right. You could not be more right. If you were right, you could say this again. To be more right, you'd have to say it twice.
0: (laughs) I've been on enough movie sets. I've learned that pretty quick that actors will read what's written on there as the actual, yeah, whatever it's supposed to be may not matter. Yeah, I that's uh, that's
2: that dramatic commitment that actors have, which I greatly admire, but I, I lack myself.
0: Yeah, uh, same here. I'll correct a word if I don't like it, even even if it's a even if it's correct word there. If it's something that sounds odd to me, I'll correct it. Sometimes I get corrected by a director, but sometimes I don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's uh, the, the the manatee story was I think I think what took. Did, this the spell the spelling errors took more away from that story, and you know what it is—they uh, were not misspellings; they were just they were typos that ended up being the a, an actual word, so spell check couldn't catch them.
2: They ultimately became the story themselves,
0: right? See, th- this is one of those examples of of, of somebody that relies so much on spell check that they don't feel they have to go back over and read their story again.
2: Yeah, that's just wrong. I can tell you <laughs> as a writer, you don't ever want to do that.
0: Yeah, because if you have a word that's a word, even though it's not the one you wanted, there spell check's going to miss it.
2: So <laughs> if it, you know, you're right. If it's a real word, you're gone. You're dead. That's why you got to right. read.
0: Right. That's why we now have wildlife conversations and a recused manatee.
2: <laughs> but I still think the recused manatee is a, is, is a legit thing. I think- oh, you
0: you don't think that was a typo. That could have been an action. Okay. I can see a manatee recusing itself. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It could. It, that could have even been the same one with the bicycle tire wrapped around it.
2: Which is why it recused
0: itself. Right. Yeah. That's- <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think that's i think that's going to wrap it up on the news. Uh, okay. I I can't read any more misspellings. I mean, I can. I just i don't i don't want to right now.
2: I don't blame you. I think it's <laughs> you have to do everything now you can to salvage your reputation.
0: Exactly, <laughs> I have to do something. <laughs> well, thanks for being on the show. I'm going to give you a couple oh. of minutes right now. Uh, if you have any social media you want to put out there, anything uh, you know, I know you said you're working on another pilot. Anything you want to promote? Uh, again, this is a couple minutes. You can do exactly that.
2: Um, let me see. I don't actually have anything because the pandemic is still raging. So I, I promote what I would promote is uh, um, people wearing a mask and. <laughs> Uh, not infecting uh, themselves or their friends or their loved ones and to please everybody be safe, get the vaccine. It's, it wasn't developed in a minute. It was developed over years. And how could that happen? COVID-19 just came out. Yes, but they were, scientists had been working on the mRNA process since the first SARS va- uh, virus appeared. So I, I want, I don't want any more people to die from this thing. it's, it's, it's I think people should, do whatever they can. That that's that's what I would be promoting: is good health and uh, uh, logic and reason.
0: That that's those are all great things to promote. Absolutely, and yeah, we want to we want to be done with this so we can all get back to the things we enjoy doing. Yes,
2: yes, we. have and the, to-
0: the vaccine, uh, the 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 issue with that is they aren't promoting it in a way that that people that don't understand the processes can understand it. I
2: think you're right about that. Actually, I think it.
0: Means Cause, you, yeah, p- people that don't know that this—I mean, the process by which they arrived at it has been around for a long, long time.
2: Quite a long time since the first SARS, uh, and I got all this information. I, my best friend is uh, one of my best friends is for like forty some years is a doctor, also a great comedian, Bill Miller. Uh, oh, okay. In Chicago, like an extraordinary comedian. Been friends since our comedy story days, but he's an actual doctor. And he explained I didn't it.
0: Know that because I've I've been a fan of Bill Miller's comedy. I, I, well, he's Dr. Bill Miller. That's you know he's. Uh, oh, okay.
2: Yeah. So so uh, he's out of Chicago. So make sure we're talking about the same guy.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. It's Bill Miller's fairly common name, so I'll make sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, Billy, Billy and I've been friends forever, and uh, he explained it to me when I asked him about you know this thing is happening so fast. He said, "No, no, no. It's, it's been around for a long. This whole yeah. this mRNA process has has been developing." So. They, they now have focused it and, and aimed it at COVID-19, and that's how they were able to develop it so fast. And it's also how, you know, the, the technique is, is fairly well known, which is why there are several different vaccines, you know, right. uh, that, that have been coming. But that's what I would promote. I would promote sanity and good health and be around to, to see your children grow up and your parents get old and, you know, not, not succumb to this horrible disease
0: absolutely well i i appreciate you being on the show it's been great talking to you and getting to know (laughs) you and uh hopefully we'll we'll have a pilot coming out soon
2: soon i'm hoping you know
0: and we can all get back to normal and we can get back up on stage and make people laugh and get that lifeblood flowing through us again
2: i need to get up on stage and my wife's gonna throw my scrawny little ass out of the house
0: (laughs) yeah that wouldn't be good either especially now because where are you gonna go i'd go to the garage so. Oh, well that works too if <laughs> you not that far then so you'll be okay okay. I' lot, lot off my shoulders. I don't have to worry about you. All right man. you take care. All right you too. thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> Thank thanks you. for listening to the life radio show like I keep telling you guys if you're gonna keep listening to me, I'm just gonna keep making these. All right. have a great night.
1: Presence. overwhelms me
0: a brutal presence really why do, why do they why do this i don't understand why this article does it was group of I just walk out of the tunnel, like a big wall, covered up with a strip so nobody'd think anything of it.